Greetings, brethren. We're just about to go live, just doing our sound check, just to make sure that uh, you can hear my voice and that you can also hear the piano. Once we get confirmation, we'll begin our service for today. This is uh, Pastor Adrian Davis welcoming everybody, just doing our sound check, wanting to confirm that you can hear my voice and you can hear the piano. Sister Becca, getting the confirmation. So we're just about to start. Everybody, welcome. Welcome to CGI Services. Just about to get started.
Welcome, everyone. Everyone from the Burlington congregations and uh, anyone online and first-time guests, welcome you to our Sabbath services today. It's month five, month four, day five, 84 days until trumpets. We are um, blessed to be together today uh, online. Um, does uh, does suck that we're not in person quite yet, but um, we'll be there shortly. And today for the opening prayer, we'll have Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. Uh, thank you, Brother Landon, and happy and blessed Sabbath to all of you. Just please bow your heads with me. Oh, great and loving Father, we are so thankful for another week. And thank you, Father, for protecting us and guiding us through this week, especially from this coronavirus, corona pandemic that is everywhere around us. And, Father, also from this social unrest and all these media, and especially the social media as as, as happening, Father. Thank you for protecting us from all this nonsense. And, Father, let us just pause, pause here for a few seconds and just help us to realize What a privilege it is to come before you, and especially on this Sabbath day. And as we just realized, there are so many billions of people on this planet, and only few in comparison, only few have direct access to your throne, no matter what time of day, of the hour. And this access was granted to all of us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And as long as we have Christ's spirit, we have this privilege, Father, to talk to you, either one-on-one or collectively, as we do today. And, Father, we pray that Technology will work today as we're going to go through another another Sabbath service, connecting us, all of us, and especially those who are still separated, social distance from one another, Father. We're grateful for this technology that we can come together and still hear the word preached to us. And, Father, specifically today, we ask, Father, that we hear the message that was prepared for us, that you bless the speaker, Pastor Adrian, as he worked so hard to prepare this message. And Father, not just we, that we just hear, will hear it, but especially they will, will do it. They will abide of it. And Father, this, as I mentioned, in this crazy situation that is happening all over around us, we pray that we'll stand above all of this nonsense that is going on. That we truly will represent you, that we represent your interests, will be like ambassadors of your kingdom in whatever is happening everywhere, Father. And just at this time, I just want to quickly pray for our political readers, and especially for the President of the United States, that he's been attacked from every side, from all, all corners. People hate him from all sides of political arenas and everywhere, and I can't figure out why not. Why Why is like that, Father? And I pray for this leader, not just because I like him, or he's my personal favorite president, but Father, we pray for the president that we can still preach this gospel to people who are lost, to people who are still doing crazy things, Father. And in the end, Father, I hope and pray that whatever we'll do today on the Sabbath service, 
especially to this broadcast, will be to your honor and to your glory. We, Father, ask you for all these things and pray for all these things in other name, by Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Deacon Jan. Um, at this time, we are going to have a, our first hymn. The words will be broadcasted up on your screen, but for those who have a hymnal, it's page 28, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Thank you for that uh, that hymn. This time we'll have the scripture reading. We're reading from Isaiah 1 verses 16 through 18. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings, and before mine eyes cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be as wool. Now we have, this time we're going to have the announcements. Um, so there will be uh, no Wednesday night Bible study this week. The next study will be on July 8th at 7.30 Eastern Time. Uh, It will be Judges 11, uh, and there will be a live Q&A at that time. Uh, There are a couple upcoming studies in July. July 10th at 8.30 p.m., Mike James will be presenting 
Where are the dead? If you are not on the email list to receive the GoToMeeting link, please email Elder James at mhjames8043-8043 at yahoo.com. Also, there is uh, on July 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern will be an infused study. Anyone between the ages of 18 and 30, single and married, there's an interactive study with Elders Jeff Reed and Mike James and uh, Pastor Murray Palmatier. How to make sense of our world. You can go to, uh, you can get the GoToMeeting link, uh, and will be shared to you. Uh, if you do not receive the link, you can email, uh, murraypalmatier at yahoo.ca. Uh, today's sermon will be, uh, immediately followed by our next hymn. Uh, the words will be on your screen and the hymn is on page 53. God will take care of you. Well, greetings, brethren. Hopefully I'm coming through loudly and clearly. Great to see everybody and just uh, welcome to our service. Uh, today's service is entitled, Come Now, Let Us Reason Together. I want to open um, just with uh, some news that I have learned just the other day about Starbucks. I think we're all familiar with Starbucks, the uh, coffee company. 
and how outraged they were. This happened a few years ago. How outraged they were when they found out that their website was hacked. And, and the person who hacked their website confessed to it. That person came forward to the Starbucks executive and told them, I've successfully hacked your site. And what he was able to do, I think we're familiar with the Starbucks uh, coffee card, the um, prepaid cards. Uh, so he was able to transfer the balance from one card to another, not once, but indefinitely. And so he was able to create a card that just had a significant amount of value on it and just have all the uh, Starbucks merchandise and product that he wanted. So he went to Starbucks and explained to them that their site had this vulnerability, and they were outraged. They threatened to sue him, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward, there's a site called HackerOne, and this site is made up of hackers like this individual who are ethical hackers. They will find vulnerabilities in a website, bring these vulnerabilities to the attention of the executive uh, of that company. Why? So they can fix the vulnerability. Starbucks is now a customer of HackerOne. And these companies pay millions of dollars in what's called bounty to ensure that their sites are not vulnerable. So there's this uh, bounty pay, a recent contest that HackerOne had, 4,282 ethical hackers applied to participate in this bounty pay. You can make quite a bit of money. Of the 4,282 hackers that applied, only 55 were granted the opportunity to pursue the bounty. Why? The reason is when they present to you, just to become a part of this HackerOne community, they will present to you a site and they'll say, hack it. So you go to the site, and the only thing that's there is a username and a password. Boom, that's it. So first test, if you can get through this, then you can compete for the bounty. But if you can't even hack this, then don't even bother. And there's no clues given. So you have to be a real researcher. Uh, the idea is to figure out the company, maybe go to their social media, go to their Twitter feed, see who works there. Uh, look at pictures, maybe somebody's at a conference and they have a badge and there's an employee number on the badge and you can zoom in and pick up the employee number and from there you can figure out the employee name and then go to their Facebook page and they give all their personal details on the Facebook page. And so through connecting the dots, you can figure out how to hack this site or any site, but they want to see that you, you, can, you, you have the intelligence to get through this first hurdle. Once you're through, so 55 out of 4,282 hackers, uh, got through, now you can compete for the prize. And uh, once you are able to find, they call capture the flag, you're able to find the vulnerability of the site, then you get paid a significant bounty, and then you can be part of this community to hack you know, the Starbucks and other significant sites uh, around the Internet. Well, we've been hacked. <laughs> we've been hacked. And, you know, our Pastor Murray a few weeks back reminded us of the importance of our stories and that a people who forget to pass on stories to the next generation we cease to be a people and that was very significant impacted me I followed that up with a story uh, the inner journey and I talked about the inner journey uh, as story how we all are going through this inner journey this personal journey 
And uh, stories have these three acts. We have basically what's called the ordinary world, where we figure out who's the main character, what their goal is, and their fatal flaw. They're pushed into, reluctantly, without choice, they're thrust into the changing, chaotic world. And they carry with them, so the, the, the main character has a goal, but the, they also have a fatal flaw. And they carry with them, into that chaotic world, this fatal flaw, where they may or may not be successful because of this flaw. And so there's conflict with an opponent. In, in Job, We talked about Job, and he had a fatal flaw, and Satan was the adversary. But eventually he was successful, and he emerges in, in the new world. So these are the sort of three acts of every story, the ordinary world, the chaotic changing world, through which transformation begins, and then the new world. And I said in that message that Job, why is this story in the Bible? That Job was really a symbol. He was symbolic of Israel. That Israel has a fatal flaw. Job was self-righteous. Job thought he was really special. And he also had a wrong concept of God. And Israel, as a people, are self-righteous. They believe they're the holy nation. They believe they're special. They carry with them this self-righteousness and also a wrong concept of God. And as we study the Bible and understand it, we come to realize that God has designed a journey for Israel where they will suffer tremendous uh, humiliation, uh, degradation, and pain. But the purpose, like Job, is to root out that fatal flaw so that they can become the treasured bride that God wants them to become. Now, the church is the first fruits of Israel. And as Israel, we also carry this fatal flaw. We have self-righteousness. We believe we're special. God has called us. He hasn't called others. And we carry a wrong concept of God. It's different than Job's concept. Job's, Job's concept of God is, you know, God is out to get me. If I put a foot wrong, he'll crush me. And so that was his big fear, this wrong concept of God. We, the first fruits of Israel, have an opposite problem with the perspective of God. We have this view that God is just so permissive and so tolerant and everything goes. But it's the same story of the main character, in this case, First Fruits Israel, the protagonist of the story, and think of that pro being four, and agonist, this, this struggle, this contention, that the, the protagonist wants something, and then the antagonist, working against that work, working against that struggle, working against the main character to make the main character fail, but ultimately, God making lemon out of lemon, uh, lemonade out of lemons, uh, God using the antagonist in, in the benefit of the protagonist so that we can become that bride, that first fruits of the bride that God is looking for. And, and that's why he says to us, you know, we must strive for the mastery. And that word strive, agonizomai, is, is, to, is agony, a protagonist, to struggle, to strive. Uh, that's what we have to do. And so we've been hacked. And I, I spoke uh, a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back, and I appreciate that my brothers, uh, Murray and uh, uh, Pastor Murray and Deacon Jan, the powerful messages that they've given uh, since I've spoken to sort of reinforce uh, the message that I gave. But I gave this message, uh, will you plead for Baal? And Baal has hacked us. Balaam, B-L-M, Balaam, 
has hacked us and exposed cracks in our unity. And so we can say, hey, let's not focus on that. Let's just focus on unity. And I've actually heard people say, you know, the pastors are the problem. The pastor should just be talking about unity. But God wants reality. He wants real unity, not, not fake unity. So if a crack has been exposed, if a vulnerability has been exposed, let's, let's go after it. You know, Jesus says that the, the, the children of this world are actually smarter than the children of light. Uh, and, and so they're, they're pursuing wealth. We're pursuing the kingdom of God. In their pursuit of wealth, they pay people to show them their vulnerabilities and pay them handsomely. As we pursue the kingdom of God, we want to turn away from our vulnerabilities. We want to pretend they don't exist. Um, As a pastor who has pledged my life to Christ, uh, I'm going to continue to expose the cracks in our vulnerability so that we can fix the cracks. You know, what's coming is so horrendous that these cracks matter. And I, I gave a sermon many years ago, Beware the O-Ring. And I talked about the Space Shuttle Challenger and how that space shuttle and the disaster that it met, there were engineers that knew that the O-Ring, that, that it was faulty. And, and they knew, but they, they didn't speak up. And so the shuttle was launched, and just because of that faulty O-Ring and the crack in it, we saw what happened. Well, we have to speak up. We can't be the engineers that see cracks and want to pretend that they're not there. Uh, God expects us to have some wisdom. So in the sermon, will you plead for Baal? The purpose of that message was to unite us. It was to say that we of all people on the earth face a unique risk. We, we will not have a do-over. We will not have another opportunity to say, oh, well, now I accept the sacrifice of Christ. This is it. And one of the things we have to be especially careful of is not discerning the Lord's body and that there has to be a difference in our mind of those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. And yet the prophecies show us that God's church is going to turn, we're going to turn upon one another and not just in a superficial way, in the most horrendous way possible. And so I ask the question, like, how is that possible? That we can be arm in arm singing the hymns one week, and sometime in the future, I am rejoicing that they are putting you to death. How did that happen? And I gave the answer that the only way that that can happen is if a doctrine, a, a, a doctrine that's antithetical to the Bible, that's antithetical to God's word, if that creeps into my mind and takes over my perspective, that I no longer see you as the body. I no longer see you as called out and separate from everybody else. I just see you as the same as everybody else or maybe even worse than everybody else. So we need to be aware of that, and and that was the purpose of that message. Unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, it was met uh, with with, uh, understanding of so many uh, compliments and and, uh, encouragement and and not superficial. People who wrote to me and and, uh, emailed me or, or contacted me gave real substance in what they got from the message. And so I felt very heartened by that. But there were a few, even while I was giving the message apparently, uh, who were railing against it. 
And I think what happened was somebody got wind of what I was talking about and maybe sent messages out to others, and so they tuned in. And, uh, you know, I received one message in particular, a fairly long letter, and, and it was from a sister who I'm very grateful for this letter. Why? Uh, first of all, it was a bit difficult to read because it was just more of a stream of consciousness. But unlike, you know, the people who were responding while I was speaking who were extremely disrespectful, here we are in a worship service, and they were disrupting our worship service in a very disrespectful manner. This sister was not like that. She wrote to me in a very respectful manner. And as I said, it was more of a stream of consciousness. And, but I took the time to read the letter several times and read between the lines because I, I felt the pain of the sister and the sincerity of the sister, that she truly was um, reaching out, trying to understand but I was puzzled by the letter. I'm like, did she really hear the message? So I had to reach back out to her and say, you know, did you listen to the whole message, part of the message, or did you just hear about the message from someone else? And so she acknowledged, well, I missed the first part of the message. So I said, okay, well, that explains it. Because if you didn't hear how I set up the message then, and, and what I said in the introduction in the first half of the message, then I can understand why and how she might come to some of the decisions, conclusions, and questions that she did. That being said, after pouring through the letter and, and, and discerning the letter, I, I think I've boiled it down to three key questions that our sister was asking that I think need to be answered and addressed. And not only for her, but I think many would probably have the same questions and concerns that she has, but maybe they don't have the integrity that she has. This is a sister that I trust. This is a sister that I know I can look her in the eye, and if she says yes, it's yes, and if she says no, it's no, and if she's smiling at me, she's smiling at me. Uh, I, I like that. I don't like when somebody smiles at me and I have no clue what they're saying behind my back. That's not healthy. I think this exchange, this letter uh, I received was, was very healthy. So I want to address this particular letter um, for this sister, but not just for her. I, as I said, I think there are others that would have similar concerns. And I would just want to apologize to the Burlington congregation in Ottawa. Ottawa's meeting again. Some are still tuning in. This message really isn't for you, and I really appreciate, appreciate your support uh, over the messages that we've had over the last few weeks, and I'm glad that we don't have these cracks uh, in our congregations. But, but it's out there, and so I want to uh, address this, and I appreciate your patience as well. Let's begin in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. In verse 1, he says this, This know also that in the last days, and I think we have this sense that we're, 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 we've entered a new chapter, but in these last days, perilous times shall come. These are going to be terrible, terrible times. Dif very, very difficult times for the church. It's not perilous just for everybody in general, which it will be, but specifically for God's people. Why? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I think this, this was my caution. That, that Black Lives Matter is a satanic deception. It is a satanic appeal to the self. I am a black man. You, if you read, uh, there's a book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays. And he's sort of like the, the, the master of modern-day propaganda. And, and what they say in that book is one of the ways to manipulate people is to get them to break from their individuality 
to get them to believe that they're part of a group, and then that group is under attack. And what that will do is it will hijack their mind so that they can't think straight. Because, because the group is under attack, they will feel like they're under attack, and they'll go into primitive mode. And so that's how you manipulate masses, is you divide them into groups, and you cause those groups to be attacked. And I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, LGBTQ plus double A, all of this is, is a group. But these people hate each other. You, you have lesbians who are athletes who, for whatever reason, psychological issues, whatever, just have one person that they want to be loyal to, and it happens to be the same sex, and they don't have the Bible. And they find now a man, says he's a woman, wants to compete in the sport that she's trained her whole life for, and he just knocks her out because he's a man. But he says he's a woman. And they hate this. But by saying LGBTQ plus QRST, you're a group, then any attack on any member of the group puts everybody in primitive mode and they fight for the group. Well, the same thing is happening to black people. We're being taught that we're a monolith, that just because we're black, we all think the same, that you can judge us just by the color of our skin, and that skin is under attack, and then we go into primitive mode and we can't think straight. This is a form of being lovers of our own selves. Covetous, this is Marxism, that we want what other people have, we're, we're upset that we don't have the wealth that others have. And we're being told that that's ours. And so we're beginning to covet the wealth of others. Boasters and proud. I'm black and I'm proud. Yes, black power, black power, black power. This does not come from God. This is not the spirit of Christ. Blasphemers, Balim, this Black Lives Matter movement is a blasphemous movement. And, and some of us are subscribing to it disobedient to parents it's a movement that seeks to destroy the nuclear family unthankful <laughs> here we are any black person who as i'm a descendant of slaves that's how i came to to be in jamaica my parents came to jamaica and ultimately to england and then canada through 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 the slave trade but i'm thankful because if that didn't happen who knows if i would ever have received the gospel but through this course of events, where men meant it for evil, look how God has turned it for good. I give thanks. But many of us are unthankful and we're being taught to be unthankful. Unholy, again, this Balin movement is unholy. It hates Christ. And some of us are subscribing to it. Without natural affection, it's all about destroying the unborn, destroying the family. So we, if you get caught up in this movement, you will hate the family. You'll hate your parents. You'll hate your children. You'll hate your unborn children. Truce breakers, breaking covenant. We've made a covenant. We're, we're, we're brought into a covenant, but it's going to cause us to break that covenant. False accusers, going to be accusing the brethren of things that are not true. Incontinent, that, that lacking uh, self-control. And then if we get into trouble with the police because we lack self-control, it's the police's fault. God's people should have self-control. Fierce, we're seeing that in the streets now despisers of those that are good. This is the spirit of the end times. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Notice this, having a form of godliness. This is dealing with God's people. This is why it's so perilous that, that the wheat and the tares grow together. And the tares will buy into this. 
And my job as a pastor is to wake up the wheat and say, don't, don't buy into this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. So we cannot allow this. Uh, this uh, and when, you know, when I say Marxist, I think because history has been erased, people don't know what that means. They think, oh, he's conservative, she's liberal, oh, and he's Marxist. They don't hear genocidal maniac. They don't hear satanic genocidal maniac when we say Marxist. So we tell them, look, Baalim is a Marxist movement. And they say, well, as long as it's fighting for black people. What? I said it's Marxist. It's genocidal. It is responsible for the death of a hundred million human souls. Islam is, is deadly. It's killed 270 million souls, but that's over 1,400 years. Marxism has killed over 100 million souls in, what, just under 200 years. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is, again, we have to understand the kind of people that are behind these movements. They're immoral. And they're going to drag us into this immorality. But I am encouraged that eventually we're going to get this right. Look at 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. We can be fooled. We can be deceived as wheat. But that's why we need each other. That's why we need pastors. That's why we have each other. So that we can help each other. And and in the end, we know we're going to be successful. He says here in 1 Peter 1, And verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're we're waiting for his appearing. We're waiting for his revelation, his revealing. And when he comes, there is going to be a grace that will be brought to us. We have to maybe suffer now, be patient now, but we love his appearing. We're looking forward to his appearing. The world will be frightened at his appearing. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Now, a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've heard some black people want to accuse me of being an Uncle Tom, of being a sellout, of, of sucking up to the white people. Uh, that's fine. You know, we've got to reason together here. Uh, you know, some people are in the church, and they used to keep Sunday. They used to keep Christmas. They used to keep Easter. And when they turned away from those things, they had a hard time with their family, trying to explain to their family why these things are false and pagan, because they looked into it, they investigated it. And then when the church went sideways and tried to reintroduce these things, these these brethren said, I came from that. You're going to bring Sunday back. I, I proved this to myself, and I came from that. This is my ignorance. That's my former ignorance. I'm not going back to it. These people who accuse me of being a sellout, they have no idea of my history. But I'll tell you this, I came from black racism. You can't fool me with black racism. I repented of that. I came from that. And now you're going to come and tell me that this is something that I need to get behind? No. The scripture says, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts. Oh, I'm black and I'm proud. And, and it's all about advancing the cause of black people. 
and I don't care about anybody. If you try to say all lives matter, no, that's, that's offensive to me because only black lives matter. Come on. This is former ignorance. Not fashioning yourselves according to your former desires in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conduct. In everything we do, we have to be higher than the carnal, natural human being. Because it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, which I think we do, who without respect of persons, and, and there's a, you know, and again, I came from this, this notion that the black race is somehow superior, that the black race is somehow closer to God, that the white race is, is naturally de- demonic. The scripture says that God responds without respect of persons. If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. In fear. So, so there's something about our concept of God, the Father, which requires some fear. That the way we operate now, we're not careless. We don't just do as we please and respond to our, our natural desires. Because there's an element of fear required because of our correct understanding of God. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So there's, there's a, a, a black pride that has been handed down from generation to generation. And, and not to say that there's something wrong with being proud of your race in a, in a normal way or being proud of your country. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. There's nothing wrong with being proud of how your, your, your DNA, how you're, how you're structured, how you've been designed. But not to say that you're superior, somehow superior to others. This, this is where it goes off the rails. So this, this concept of black superiority, this is vain conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, of as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this is, this is where we need to be, brethren, really taking this very, very seriously. This is that the stakes are very high. And that was really the message. And if I think, you know, please go back and listen to the message. And you can't just come in halfway through the movie and then critique the movie. If I was a movie critic and I'm putting out a critique and people find out, I didn't watch the first half of the movie. That just is just what I think based on what I saw. They'd be like, this guy has no clue what the movie was about. Why is he talking? Oh, well, he didn't watch the first half of the movie. That's inappropriate. Look at Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1. A scripture aimed specifically at God's people, which we can learn from today. Isaiah 1 and verse 7. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Does it sound familiar? Is history repeating itself? Are we seeing this today? Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. You you, you actually sit and you watch it. You turn on the news and it's happening right in front of your face. How did this happen? And there's nothing you can do about it. It's, It's just chaz right under your nose. Strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And we ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you see what's coming. This is just sort of the the, the teaser, the trailer of what's coming. 
and the daughter of Zion, so this is targeted now. It's like, oh, we're God's people. No, no ill will ever befall us. We'll always be protected. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard. So all of the uh, harvest has been done, and what's left is just pathetic. As a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we, here's the self-righteous nation. If God had not acted to ensure that there was a small remnant left, we should have been as Sodom. We should have been like unto Gomorrah. So this is, this is the Job moment. We thought we were super special. Actually, we're like Sodom and Gomorrah. And we, we are endorsing the, the debauchery of Sodom and Gomorrah. When, when the Baalim movement tells us they're all about transgenderism and abortion and destroying the family and, and transsexuality and pansexuality. And we say, yeah, Balim, go Balim, go Balim. We love Balim as long as it's supporting black people. We are as Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You've lost the law of God. You, you have gone over to lawlessness. Now come back and hear the law of our God. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Does this make sense to you? That we can be deep involved in Sodom and Gomorrah and then come and worship God. Deep involved in debauchery and then keep the Sabbath. Deep involved in hatred and racism and then come with offerings. Is this, is this, is God this permissive? To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, says the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. So, you know, take that verse and just say, keep your money. I, I don't need your money. God doesn't need our, our, our money. So we feel good. Hey, I gave offering. But I support Sodom and Gomorrah. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Can you not discern the Lord's body? Bring no more vain oblations. Your incense is an abomination unto me. These are God's people. Is it possible? I know we, have, we suffer from self-righteousness. And so it's very hard for us to say, you know what? I'm an abomination to God. My offering is an abomination to God. I can't go there. That is far too painful. I'd rather point the fingers at other people and accuse them of all kinds than to come to terms with the fact that, you know what? I might be supporting sodomy. I might be supporting the spirit of Gomorrah and yet coming to God with worship. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, <laughs> I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Is that possible? That when God's people assemble, because the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah is among God's people, that the whole thing is iniquity and lawlessness to God. Is that possible? Are we, are we willing to maybe just entertain that, again, when we study the book of Judges, the people of Israel felt that they were doing what was right, in their own eyes. 
But the author of the book keeps reminding us that the people of Israel were doing evil in the sight of God. And so I think we, we have, because of the history of Israel, being the first fruits of Israel does not absolve us from the historical weaknesses of Israel. These things are written for our examples, upon whom the ends of the age have come. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Imagine the pain of God saying, speaking like this. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And there was a passage that we read in Judges where God actually says, go to your gods, go to the Baalim. You, you, you support the Baalim, let them protect you. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. So what is happening here that not just make prayers, but make many prayers? The people in their own estimation are righteous people. They make many prayers. They keep the feasts. They keep the assemblies. And God can't stand it. Is it possible that by allowing Baalim into our assembly, that God can't stand our assembly? Is it possible? I'm asking the question. Allow me as a pastor to ask the question. Ultimately, I, I have to be responsible for my congregations and to bring them across the finish line. Other pastors will have to answer for their congregations. But for those of you who are willing to listen, because we do listen to each other's messages, as a pastor, will you allow me to ask the question based on scripture that to our own, in our own perception, we may think we're hot stuff, and in God's sight, he can't stand it. He says, I will hide my eyes from you, yes, when you make many prayers. I'm not listening. Why? Your hands are full of blood. And this was the point of the previous sermon, Will You Plead for Baal? That the Baalim movement is going to shed blood. It's already shedding blood. But more specifically, I'm warning, this looks like it's going to get out of control. Marxists are bloodthirsty. When you hear Marxist, you're a genocidal, satanic maniac. Marxists are genocidal. And they hate Christ. So once they get the upper hand, they're going to shed a lot of blood. And some of that blood is going to belong to God's church. And if you support the Baalim, that blood will be on your hands. Am I to be quiet? You want me to see this. Some people can't think steps ahead. You know, it's like a chess game. And the pawn can only think one square ahead. The queen has to go up and down the board. And the chess master himself has to be thinking 5, 10, 15, 45 steps ahead in different configurations. That's what makes the chess master a master. They can see multiple patterns and outcomes. But the pawn can only see one square ahead. I'm going to support Balaam because black lives matter. And you can only see one square ahead? Can, can, can we connect the dots? The church's blood is going to shed. The scripture tell us that. But will it be on your hands? And that's my warning. That's my warning. And you want me to back down? He says, wash you, make you clean. 
So there is repentance, there is forgiveness. Unlike the Balin movement, which has no forgiveness, Marxists are unforgiving. They'll go back 50 years and find something you did and never forgive you. God forgives. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. And again, when we look at judges, they were deep into Baalim worship. Israel, deep into Baalim worship. And God says, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Now, the Marxists and those influenced by Marxists, and many of us, if we've gone through the school system in the last 90 years, we've been influenced by Marxism, especially in the last 20. So a lot of our young people coming out of these institutions, they have been brainwashed by Marxism. And and prayer and Christianity has been taken out, and this kind of social justice, it it has been replaced, or has, has replaced the Bible. And so we will read something like this, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And we'll immediately think, yeah, that's Balaam. That's Black Lives Matter. That's why I support Black Lives Matter. It has nothing to do with Balaam. And as we talk about, as we unfold this, I will talk about this. Come now, God says, and let us reason together. So here's what I want to say here on this verse. The God of the universe, your creator, your father, wants to reason with you. He's not here on planet Earth right now. He's coming. Christ will come and ultimately the Father will come. But he's not here right now. But he wants to reason with you. How is he going to do that? Doesn't he say uh, for a brother to be brother's keeper, to watch out for each other, to pull each other from the fire? To Doesn't he give us pastors to give us guidance? So if we're going to fly off the handle and be totally emotional and unable to be reasoned with, then can we have a relationship with God? Or even though what I'm hearing I don't like, I have always kept Sunday and Easter and Christmas, and now you're coming to tell me that this is all pagan? Of course I'm going to be upset. But let me be reasonable as well. And let me investigate and search out the facts. And maybe I'm going to come back to you and say, you know what? I wanted to prove you wrong, and I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, but I realized, you're right. Sunday's nowhere in the Bible. Easter, Christmas, these are pagan days, and and much to my chagrin, I have to acknowledge the Sabbath. Well, this is how God works. He wants us to be reasonable. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, he's talking to Israel. This is why this Marxist doctrine is so wrong. Because God has forgiveness for Israel. And through the forgiveness to Israel, Israel, and through Israel, forgiveness for the whole world. God has a plan. There's an order of operations. And when we read Judges, God should have thrown Israel away thousands of years ago. But he's made a covenant with them. And he will forgive them. And through them, bring forgiveness to the whole world. And we are the first fruits of Israel. Our message should be a message of forgiveness. We have good news. We have good news. If I go to your social media, 
will I see and hear good news? Or will I only hear adding fuel to the fire, stirring up hatred, making matters worse? He says, even though he's talking to God's people, and we are the first fruits of Israel, and in our own mind we think we're so wonderful, but God can say it's an abomination. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is God. Forgiveness. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. He's talking to these same people who he just said are an abomination to him. But if you refuse and rebel, this is the thing. Repentance is required. So again, just think of that whole notion of going through this this chaos in the middle. And in that chaos, coming to realize who we really are and our fatal flaw. And if, but if you ref- so we become willing and obedient, but we don't have to go that way. It can, be, it can end in tragedy. If you, be, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And verse 20 is what I want to just highlight here. You want to support Balaam? You want to support Marxism? You don't care as long as they're supporting black people? You've got to think a few squares ahead. Marxists are satanic, genocidal maniacs. And they will use you and abuse you. And once they get their way, line up. You're next. The very people who fought for the movement will be sacrificed by the movement. And you know, before they sacrifice you, bring your children, because they want your children. You fought for them knowing that their purpose is to destroy the family. So hopefully you can think a few steps ahead that once they do get control of society and they can change laws, there is no way you can hold on to your children. They've already signaled that with the coronavirus, that if if your child is infected, they will have the right to come into your home and remove that child from your home and you can do nothing about it. So whether it's corona, whatever the pretext is, under a Marxist regime, your children do not belong to you. And if they want to give them to pedophiles, because that's the Marxist way. You can just watch. And after you've watched, then they'll sacrifice you. Are you do you know what you're, you're supporting? If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. The very sword that you supported will turn on you. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. In Proverbs 14, verse 29, it says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalts folly. So when I said, we need some background here on this George Floyd case, let's look into the context of the case. People were furious. We mustn't look at the context. We saw the knee, and it was horrible. What we saw. I, I, Up to now, I haven't watched the whole video. I can't. I can't stomach it. It's disgusting. It's horrendous. But we live in a, society, in a civilized society. One is innocent until proven guilty. And so there's always context. We want to understand what, what exactly happened here. And I brought out some of that context. Instead, the masses, straight to wrath. We want blood, and we want it now. He that is hasty of spirit exalts folly. God's people must be slow to wrath. That, God says that's great understanding be slow to wrath. In Proverbs 18, verse 13, he says, he that answers a matter 
before he hears it. It is folly and shame unto him. So again, if you did not listen to the whole message of will you plead for Baal, please go back and listen to it. Listen to it with an open heart and an open Bible. And then come with the Bible and challenge it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's a warning. And, and to miss the warning and just talk about carnal affairs when the greatest warning from Christ himself is in the message and to completely disregard that, he that answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and a shame unto him. So I mentioned this letter had, uh, I really appreciate the letter, it was heartfelt, uh, it was a lot of work kind of distilling it, but I think I've distilled it down to three fundamental questions that are legitimate questions that I think others would have these questions as well. The first is, were you condemning George Floyd by exploring his past? Were you showing a lack of compassion, throwing stones, and hating the sinner? Is upward social mobility possible for black people? And were you intending to look down on people on welfare? I think that's one category. Sort of the, the George Floyd condition, maybe the condition of poor black people, and my perspective of all of that. Number two. Were you suggesting that racism no longer exists and invalidating the experiences of people who have experienced it? Valid question. And I think this question is very powerful because for the people who have experienced it and suffered greatly because of it, they don't want their experience dismissed. And so, fair question. And then I think the third and most powerful question in this letter I think a lot of you uh, might have a similar concern. Should Christians pursue social justice in this life? Does it not befall Christians as a responsibility to pursue social justice in this life? Let's look at the first one. Was I condemning George Floyd by exploring his past like showing a lack of compassion, compassion, throwing stones and hating the sinner. And then also is upward mobility possible for black people? Was I intending to look down on people on welfare? Why did I explore his past? Because he was being held up as a hero. There's, there's murals of him with wings. He's an angel. And there's, you see murals of him on, on one side is Martin Luther King and on the other is uh, uh, um, Malcolm X, and he's in the middle, and he's actually larger than them. And, and this is the social justice movement, and he's the you know, patron saint of this movement. And I just, I just said, time out. <laughs> I, I don't accept this. I don't accept Marxists dictating to me who I should uphold in high esteem. That when I looked into this man's past, he was a career criminal. Now, how he died is, was savage. It was horrendous. We, obviously, we need more facts, and there's an autopsy, and we need to look at all those results. But all I, from what I saw, I saw enough to know that that's savage. But the, my point in looking at his past to Christians was, really? Are we going to have people tell us, black Christians in particular, that the, this is our hero? A man who's done nothing, who's accomplished nothing, 
his greatest accomplishment is to be a career criminal, to, to be a pornography star, to, to threaten a pregnant woman with a gun in her stomach, to say, I will blow the brains of your baby in your womb out and I'll blow out your spine. This is our hero? I'm sorry. You don't, not you, brethren, you Marxists, don't get to dictate to me who I will uphold in high esteem. And shame on the black race to allow white Marxists to drag from the bottom of the barrel people with no character and tell them, here are your heroes, oh black people. Here are your heroes. Can't you give us people of accomplishment? People who have really done something significant and changed the world and hold them up as our heroes so that we can say to our young people, if you work hard, you too can be like that. Instead of saying to our young people, oh, society is horrible. And, and if you, no matter what you do, you'll end up like George Floyd because he's our hero. I don't accept it. So I think his past, shame on us if we don't look into the past. Of, of this man and the context, I should say the context of what happened. Because it is relevant. And you have people now calling for blood. And that, that this is against the Bible. If we go to the, the, the actual stats here, let me, let me do that now. If we look at the stats, and you'll see with the, the and, I, and I shared this in the that here, the FBI shows that if, if you're white, your biggest concern, as far as murder goes, is other white people. So 3,315 white people were murdered in 2018, and the perpetrators, the offenders, 2,677 of them were white. It's mostly people who know each other who are killing each other. If you're black... 2,925 black people were killed. The perpetrator of those murders, 2,600 black people. So 234 white people were responsible for some of these deaths. But 2,600 black people. So, you know, we, 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 we go for the hype from, from the Marxists, the left-wing media, and we're terrified of the police. When in reality, if we, if, if, you know, the, the leading cause of death, the leading cause of death generally is heart attack and stroke. But for 18 to 34-year-old black males, the leading cause of death is homicide by other black males. That's fact. And the fact that we're in this hysteria over police killing unarmed black men and defund the police surely we should be able to see the manipulation here. That there's a problem in the black community, amongst the black community. Let's address that. If we really care about black lives, this past weekend, a hundred shootings in Chicago, didn't we have a black president come out of Chicago? Shouldn't, shouldn't things be better there? A hundred shootings in a weekend amongst black people? Can we talk? Can we face reality? Or no, you mustn't talk about this. Just focus on the white. Focus on the white. White on black crime is not 
as as this is, I'm not saying it's not an issue, but in terms of order of priority, which is one of the points I was making, black on black crime is a high high priority. We've got to like why is this happening, and how do we fix that? First Peter two and verse thirteen. We want to be law-abiding citizens. Christians do not support lawlessness. If somebody is lawless and they run into the law and come to a sad end, it's a sad end. It's not a happy ending. It's a sad, tragic ending, but it's predictable. If, if you're going to live a life of crime and armed robbery and, and, and drug addiction, It, it, it's, not, it's not rocket science to say you may come to a tragic end. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13, submit, this is to Christians. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. We are not lawless people. We, are, we do not uphold and celebrate lawlessness. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it to be the, the king whether it be the king, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, him being God. So governors are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers. And this would be written in the context of some very severe punishments by the Romans. And, and here Peter is saying, look, submit yourselves. Be, be lawful people. Don't be lawless. Submit yourselves unto governors, as unto them are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. These are the people we want to uphold as heroes. People who do well, not people who are evildoers. I, I, I don't know what kind of mental capacity one needs to be in to see a woman who's pregnant without, this is, this is what the Bible says, without natural affection. So you see a woman who's pregnant, I think any normal human being, our natural response would be, how can we help this woman? What is the thinking process where you see a pregnant woman and you see her vulnerability and you take a gun and you push it into her stomach and you say, I will blow the brains of the baby in your womb out and your spine with it if you don't give me what I want. And you want me to uphold this? Per- I'm sorry he died the way he died. But the scripture says that the law enforcement is there for the punishment of evildoers. And so I can't help it if criminals come to a sorry end. I'm not going to go in the street and riot over that. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's not with with crime that we try to put people to silence and force people to be silent. It's with well-doing that we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. So this whole Baalim movement is maliciousness. And although we're free, it doesn't mean that we can put a cloak to, to try to take Baalim and try to make this Black Lives Matter into something that it's not. It is not good. It's evil. We should not be trying to make it good. And, and let's separate. Nobody is saying here, me of all people, black lives don't matter. Look, 
What, what kind of foolishness would that be to say black lives don't matter? But Satan is clever. This black lives matter, this Balim movement belongs to the devil. It has nothing to do with Christ. And we should have nothing to do with it. So be free, but don't use your freedom for a cloak of maliciousness to, to give them cover. And on social media, supporting them, giving them cover. Not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. You know, Walmart just uh, got into big trouble this week because they published, uh, or they had somebody selling online a t-shirt that said, All Lives Matter. And the Black Lives Matter movement was furious, and Walmart is in hot, hot water, and they have to remove that merchandise. But isn't that the gospel? That all lives matter? Is, isn't that what we preach? That God is here to save all men? Honor all men, love the brotherhood. And that again was the point. Will you plead for Baal? And we honor all men. But there's a difference between the natural human and the human who's been impregnated by God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, fear God. Don't, 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 Job had, Job feared God in a wrong way. But now the first fruits, because of the Christianity uh, that has influenced us, the false Christianity, we don't fear God. We, we think that God is good with everything. That's a wrong concept of God. If we have the right concept of God, fear God. Honor the king. Servants or employees, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. This is the Christian ethic. This is Christianity. This is Christianity 101. Our vision is so far beyond this world that we can conduct ourselves even with froward men, in a way that they don't understand. Because their vision is limited to this world. Ours is not. So, so this Baha'i movement has got nothing to do with us. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. God will say, this, you know, this is worth, thank you. Instead of Isaiah 1, God looking at us and saying, you are an abomination to me. Your worship is an abomination to me. The other side, as the first fruits of Israel, is to have God look at our, our life and say, thank you. This is worthy of my gratitude. Thank you. So this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Balim cannot suffer at all, even suffering they deserve. They will not have it. The Christian will suffer even if it's wrongfully and will endure grief, even if wronged. This is Christianity 101. For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is what God is looking for. This is acceptable to God. So, so tell me your complaints. And then tell me that you took them to God. And you said to God, this is all wrong. But for your sake, I will endure it patiently to the end. 
Now you've got my attention. You want to go rioting and picketing and looting and shooting or supporting those who do so that you can have your right? It's not Christianity. For even hereunto were you called. You know, God could call, there's there's 7.3 billion people on the planet right now, 7.5. There's a lot of choice. God has a lot of choice. He called you and he called me. And he says, the reason I called you is because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So the Baalim and Antifa, the Marxists, there must be no suffering on the planet. The planet must be a utopian planet hogwash. They're the ones that will bring the suffering. But their rhetoric says there must be no suffering. This is the opposite of Christianity. Christianity says we were handpicked to follow the example of Christ, who did no wrong and yet suffered tremendously. So we are to look at what he did and do the same. That's why we were handpicked. So the notion that I'm throwing stones at George Floyd is quite the opposite. I'm saying, as Christians, we care about law. We care about law and order. And rather than throw fuel on the fire, we need to try to put this out. People are losing, more people have lost their lives over the protests of George Floyd than, than the actual officer who killed George Floyd. So there's something wrong with this, this calculus. And Christians cannot be on social media supporting blood sport, supporting rioting and looting, and saying, well, as long as it advances the cause of black people. That's idolatry. So throwing stones, this, this, this is an allusion to John 8. Are you throwing stones? And I hate when I hear John 8 preached incorrectly. Because when it's preached incorrectly, What we're saying is Christ is lawless. Christ does not follow the law. He winks at the law. And this is a misunderstanding of Christ. And it's it's, it's bordering on blasphemy. Look at John 8. John 8. John 8 and verse 10. When Jesus has lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She didn't say, Lord, I'm innocent. These were false charges. I'm glad that they're gone now. She just said, no, no man, Lord. All the accusers are gone. That's the point. That so many came and acute, and then they didn't bring the man, but they caught her in the very act. And she didn't deny it. And all Christ asks her is, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And this is the verse that people take to say, we serve a God who winks at sin. And because nobody else could throw the stone at her, uh, so therefore we shouldn't be throwing stones. That's not what Christ taught. Had two witnesses been there who were legitimate witnesses, they would have stoned her to death under the 
guidance and auspices of Christ himself. He would have watched over the stoning because he wrote the law. It's based on Torah, Deuteronomy 17, and I, I just hate it. I hate when this is preached or referenced incorrectly because it insults Christ. The reason Christ is our Messiah is he lived perfectly by the Torah. Satan was trying every which way to get him to trip up and violate the Torah so that he could not be a worthy savior. The Jews, in this incident, this conflict, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 17, in this conflict, what the Jews were trying to do was outsmart him, that if he didn't stone her, then they could say he's violating the Torah. But if he did cause her to be stoned, they could say he's violating Roman law because he doesn't have the authority to put people to death. The Romans do that. And so they thought they had him between a rock and a hard place, that either way they were going to get rid of him. Either he's violating Torah or he's violating Roman law. And he outsmarted them. He said whatever he was writing on the, the, um, the ground, which, which may have been from the Torah or may have been their sins, probably from the Torah, but whatever, whatever he was writing, they realized they are not legitimate witnesses. And they left. That is why she wasn't stoned. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. So there were no witnesses But even if there was one person left to say, no, I know, I saw her, and I know she's guilty, Christ would still not condemn her because the law was set up to protect people from false accusations because this is the nature of people. We accuse falsely. So because of this, he says here in verse 7, Deuteronomy 17, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. So you brought this charge, you saw it, okay, you pick up the stones and you start, and then everybody else will join in after. So the stoning has to begin with the witnesses. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put the evil away from among you. God doesn't want evil. in the He doesn't want Sodom and Gomorrah in the midst of his people. And so this is a system that's designed to keep it out. But at the same time, God knows the nature of human beings and that there will be false accusations. And so he designs it in such a way that the witnesses have to start the killing process. And they all left. And so Christ said, well, where are the witnesses? In Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, it repeats in the Torah, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity. It doesn't matter what the iniquity is. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sins, it doesn't matter what the sin is. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So please, do not accuse Jesus Christ of lawlessness. We've lost our Savior if you preach or teach that Christ is lawless. Christ is 100% Torah. He was the walking Torah. And they thought they could trip him up. And the only reason she, was, she, she couldn't be put to death was there were no witnesses to, to, to begin the stoning process. And, but he warned her, you got away this time. 
but don't sin again. Because if, if there are legitimate witnesses, I will oversee your stoning. So here we are. Where, think, think about this. I'm a pastor of Jesus Christ. I'm pointing people to the law of God. George Floyd, who will be resurrected, who will be taught, who will have the opportunity to accept Christ, but George Floyd was a career criminal. He really was a bottom-of-the-barrel, zero-character type of human being. We have now Christians who have more affinity who, or who have affinity with a career criminal and hostility toward a pastor of Christ. How did we get here? The pastor of Christ speaks, and there is hatred. George Floyd's name is mentioned, and there is honor. Let it sink in. What's happened? Amos 5. Amos 5, verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. And a lot of people have this attitude of, oh, I'm glad that the world is falling apart. It just means that the the day of the Lord is coming faster. Um, We need to understand what it means when the world falls apart. Specifically, when America collapses. A lot of people hate America. A lot of Christians hate America. And there's a kind of an internal glee that she's collapsing. But I think we need to study history. And we need to study current affairs. And we need to understand that the collapse of America is not the same as the return of Jesus Christ. That there can be tremendous distance between the collapse of America and the return of Jesus Christ. And the world is going to be a very different world when the influence of America, which is based on the biblical principle that all men are created equal. Now, America has not always lived up to it and has been held to account numerous times and has evolved and changed and repented and struggled with this because human beings are flawed, but it's at the fundamental ethic. And that's why you have this concept of human rights around the world, that humans have rights This actually is a biblical principle. Once America collapses and is replaced with, let's say, the Chinese Communist Party that couldn't care less about human beings, doesn't care about its own citizens, or it's replaced with Islam that is authorized to, that actually human beings who don't accept Islam are not even considered human. When these ethics and way of thinking and being replace America, it's going to be a very different world. And Christ doesn't say, as soon as America collapses, don't worry, I'll be there. So we need to be thinking very seriously about a world where the Christian ethics have been erased. And we still have to function in that world. And I appreciate the opening prayer where Deacon Jan prayed for the king of the free world. And and everybody hates him. And yeah, he's got a rough personality, coarse personality. But he's actually fighting for America. And that's why they hate him. Because there's a globalist plan. There's a globalist agenda. And he's in the way. So woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? So, you know, I love Balaam. And I love the day of the Lord. This sounds like ancient Israel. 
I'll worship the, 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 the queen of heaven, and I'll worship Jehovah. Um, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Christ ex- expects exclusivity. That's what we learn from marriage. Exclusivity. Covenant. Faithfulness. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Christ says many will betray. The love of many will wax cold. This is not a time of of wonderful celebration for the church. It's a time of darkness. We need to get suddenly, we turned the corner and Christianity just got real. Like this is real. Do you know what you signed up for? Because now we're starting to head into the, the, the age of darkness. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. And, and we're not going to be able to do the work in the dark. So we do while we can. But time's going to run out. It's like, people, brethren, the world is changing. It's going to be a very different world. We need to be ready. It's as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him from one disaster to another and went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Imagine how people will function in this kind of environment. If already, you know, round one, Balaam enters the ring and he knocks us out. This is round one. We've got 15 rounds. And this is the weakest of the adversaries. And we're already knocked out. But there's a time coming when it's going to be like you flee from a lion and then while you're running from the lion, a bear meets you. Or you go into the house to, to, to escape and you lean your hand on the wall and a serpent bites you. This is the future. And people who are selfish, who are seeking their own, who only care about themselves, we're not going to do well in this period before the, before the return of Christ. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days. So he's talking to his own people. Job had a self-righteousness problem. He had to go through turmoil, a lot of it, to finally see that he was the problem. God's people have to go through turmoil, a lot of it, to come to terms with ourselves. Israel did what was right. Always they did what was right in their own eyes. And God says continually they did what was evil before the Lord. We're the first fruits of Israel. How are we doing? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Oh, I love the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus was lawless, you know, because there was a woman caught in adultery, and he let her go. So it's okay if people have adultery. It's, oh, it's all right. It's no problem. He's lawless. We're lawless. Um, we're misreading scripture. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. So basically all your money, whatever you want to bring as offerings, I, I, I don't take it away. Take you away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your vials. But the, the, the music is so beautiful. 
and, and some of the talents we have when they sing, it's so beautiful. How could you not accept this, Lord? Because there's debauchery, and you're worshiping Baalim, and you're supporting Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you want to, you think because you have a beautiful voice that that's going to change everything? But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. That's what God wants. Judgment. Okay, let me hear the matter. Give me the full context so that I can pass judgment. Not fly off the handle and react emotionally and not, I don't even know the facts. Let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as, mighty, as a mighty stream. In Matthew 24 and verse 11, Christ himself says, many false teachers shall rise and shall deceive many. And that is the key. Are your teachers, your people of Balaam, are they pointing you to the law or away from the law? Are they upholding lawfulness or lawlessness? Because somehow there needs to be a doctrine that creeps into our mind, that changes us and turns us away from the law and turns us away from each other and has us accusing each other and hating each other. That has to happen. It so says the word. And unfortunately, it doesn't end there. It goes to murder. And many false teachers shall rise and shall deceive many we just, we just had round one, and already the deception is in the church. Okay, let's, let's get up. Okay, we got knocked down. The fight isn't over yet. Let's go back to our corner, clean ourselves up, talk to the coach, get our breath. Let's get back in the ring. Get back up. It's okay. Balaam doesn't teach forgiveness, but God teaches forgiveness. Let's repent. Let's get back in. Because the competitor or the, the adversary in round two, it might knock me out. Or knock me down. And, and you're fine. That, that particular competitor or adversary doesn't have any hold over you. And so it has something on me. And so I falter. But you're still in the ring. So now I, you can get me back up. We need each other. We need each other. To, we're not each other's enemies. Let's come. Let's reason together. Let's open the scriptures. Let's search the Torah. Let's look. Let's seek lawfulness. And because lawlessness shall abound. So Christ telling us of the future that there'll be no regard for law. Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. And that actually tells us there's been a family breakdown because it's in the family that people learn how to be functioning, healthy human beings. So you have to destroy the family. Of course Satan wants to destroy the family. Of course Balaam wants to destroy the family. We cannot have lawlessness if there's family. And because lawlessness shall abound, the agape, the Christian love, the Holy Spirit love of many Christians shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. So in other words, many are going to fail. This just got real. We're not here to play. 
this is real. This is the point of the, the sermon, will you plead for Baal? That George Floyd will live again. George Floyd will have the opportunity to learn Christ and accept Christ and turn from that awful life. And, and again, we need to talk about why did he lead that life? What happened that he, that he was driven into that type of lifestyle? All of these things are going to be addressed. Our time is now. And if we, if we fall into this and lose our love and hate one another and accuse one another, oh boy, we're out. But God, Christ says there will be a small remnant that will cross the finish line and they will be saved. So, you know, in this same letter, uh, and again, I, it was, I think, said respectfully, I was accused of being a lover of money, that I was boasting about my success and that I'm a lover of money. Um, you know, I've been in the church 35 years. And that story that I told of flying in private jets with billionaires, I have never told that to anybody. My wife knew. I've never preached about it. In personal relationships, I've never mentioned it. It means nothing to me. But there was a point that I was making in the story why it was relevant. Because America, and really the West by extension, is being accused of systemic racism. And what I was showing was, hey, you know what? As far as the church goes, very few people in the church, very few, will have met the level of poverty and the people with nothing and the criminals that I was with. I was at the bottom of society. Very few people in the church have been at that level. And at the same time, by God's grace, I've had the opposite experience where I've been with some of the wealthiest people in the world and, and like, time with them. And, and the point, one of the points that I was making in that story was, no, the West is not systemically racism or racist. It's actually colorblind. And that's what we need to figure out, that we're going to define systemic racism it means the system is racist. The system has policies and procedures designed to keep the black race down. Well, slavery was systemic racism. After slavery, the Jim Crow laws passed by the Democrats, the Ku Klux Klan, Democrats, these were systemic, or this was systemic racism. But the, the, since then, the Reformation and all the, the civil uh, rights marches and, and progress, the system has actually become color. I didn't say the system went away. I said the system has become colorblind. Same system, but colorblind. So you can, anybody, and there's tens and thousands of stories of people who've been down and out and decided to turn their life around. And there's just certain things Stop fornicating. Stop committing adultery. Stop having children out of wedlock. Get an education. Get off the welfare system. That's dangerous. It's there as a support. We really shouldn't need it. People who are in trouble, the church should be there to give charity. God, God, the Bible supports charity. Marxists support welfare. 
because they want us dependent on the government. They want to replace the husband with the government. They want to replace the father with the government. And then these, these cities and, and states that have bought into this, it's not because of the race. And yes, black people suffer in these cities. <laughs> Top worst 25 cities in America, all democratic. Because it's all this Marxist policy. Get off, get off welfare. Do what you can. And that's why my point of my story, my mother, I saw my mother fight them and argue with them that she would not stay on welfare. And I couldn't forget that. Don't commit crime. There are like simple things. And then work hard. Get up early. Work hard. And the system doesn't care. When I started my career, coming from the bottom of the barrel, and then deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make something of myself. My father warned me, actually, when I was turning my life around. He said, son, be careful of crabs in the barrel. I had no idea what he meant. What do you mean, Dad? I didn't grow up with my father, but I had some times where I visited him. And he always dropped pearls of wisdom. Be careful of crabs in the barrel. What do you mean? He said, if you put crabs in a barrel, after a while, you'll see them crawling over each other. But you'll see one that will figure out how to get out. And when it starts to get out, the others will pull it back down. Beware of crabs in the barrel. And that's the exact experience I had. This is why you cannot fool me to say blacks are a monolith. All blacks think the same. We don't. I, I was with people. I, you know, and this is the other thing that really kind of gets under my skin a little bit because I have family members now who are telling me black lives matter and who are showing me uh, injustices from the 1960s to say, look, how, look at the racism. Yeah, that's from the 1960s. When I was a young man, when I was 15, I started to notice the injustices. And I remember sitting, to my, sitting down with my mom and crying and saying to my mom, I wish I was white. Because I saw the injustices and I saw how white people had it so easy. And the best my mom could offer me then was to say, what if you were white and disabled? Something I hadn't thought of. And I thought, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I said, I'd rather be black than white and disabled. But in terms of having any sort of dignity, that doesn't give one dignity. And so that began a whole process for me of what does it mean to be a black man? And I didn't have a father. And so I chose role models. I searched and I looked at what does it mean to be a black man? And at 16, I chose two role models. One was Malcolm X. I couldn't stand Martin Luther King. He was weak to me. Weak. This is urgent. I liked Malcolm X, and I studied him. I studied everything he said. Watched him carefully. I liked Malcolm X. I chose him as a role model. This is what it means to be a black man. And the other was Bob Marley. And I studied him. People just played his music. I studied his music. And I went on this quest Two things I had in my mind. What does it mean to be black? What is a black man? And what is this life all about? What happens when we die? And I began this quest. And I sacrificed everything for this. I quit school. Came a high school dropout. I became homeless. This was serious to me. And now I have young people today. They're 20-something. Wet behind the ears. Coming to tell me. I'm a sellout. I'm an Uncle Tom. And they've sacrificed nothing. 
I saw so, even my own family. They all went to school. They all did everything. Everything's fine. Adrian, don't, be a, don't, don't cause problems. No, there's a problem here. We need to deal with this. I was ready to fight. I was ready to kill. I was ready to die for this cause. You don't know me. You don't know my past, what I've been through. You're going to accuse me of being an Uncle Tom. What have you sacrificed for the cause? And then the people I was with, I would have given them everything. But after a while, I noticed they're all on welfare. They're all criticizing the government vehemently, but they're collecting checks from the government. And I just like, no, because of my mother's example. I'm like, no, I, I can't do this. So I started to really be productive, and they hated me. They turned on me. They became very envious. These were people who looked just like me. And I learned a very bitter lesson. They tried, they tried to destroy me, people who looked just like me. That was a wake-up call. And then in the process of time, as God opened my mind to the gospel and the Bible and Christ, I had a minister of Jesus Christ sitting in front of me, teaching me the gospel. And he was white, and he looked nothing like me. He was the exact opposite of me, and he was white. And I, like my brain was exploding. I, didn't under, I thought white people were evil. And I thought black people were good by virtue of our, or the color of our skin. And I learned that black people can be just as evil as any, anybody else. White people can be just as evil as anybody else. Rich people, just as evil as any... And I, believe me, I saw some wickedness. Lover of money, I, 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 where I worked and the kind of money I could make, I walked away from it. Because I saw evil. Silicon Valley. I was in Silicon Valley. And I walked away. You're going to tell me I'm a lover of money? I started my own business with a young family. And praise be to God, he's given me the wife he's given me. We, we had to pull, penny, to pull pennies together. Take that credit card to pay that credit card. And I chose that rather than participate in evil. No matter how much they pay me. You can accuse me of being Uncle Tom, lover of money. Be careful. In my family, I don't touch money. I don't have a personal credit card. I don't check bank accounts. I have a lovely wife and an intelligent wife. And she manages the family. She manages the Proverbs 31 woman. I don't have to worry about those things. Half the time, my head is in the clouds. I don't really have a relationship with money. My wife shops. She does everything. She's the one who says to me, you need new clothes. You need this. You need that. Get this. Be careful of your accusations. If you look at Ecclesiastes 9, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 is very interesting. This, I, don't, I don't buy this black monolith. All black people are the same. That's a Marxist ploy so that when they attack or seemingly attack black people, we lose our minds. And we can't think straight anymore. That's propaganda. That's a, that's a Marxist manipulation. I judge people by the content of their character. And I discern those in the body from those outside. You could be my own flesh and blood. But if you don't accept Christ, you're not the same as somebody in Christ. I don't care what race they are. I hope that makes sense. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, 
But the dead know not anything. When you're dead, you're dead. There's no knowledge. There's no, or when you're dead, you keep on living. So we go to this verse often. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. It's the next verse I want to look at. This is one of the wisest men ever. Also their love and their hatred is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is under the sun. So when they die, their knowledge goes, their love and their hatred goes. But notice, he didn't just say their love and their hatred. Their love, their hatred, oh, and their envy. (laughs) Their envy. Human beings are envious. And that's why Marxism has power over people. That you look at what others have and you don't have it. And the Marxists say, that's not fair, you should have it. And we're full of envy. And my father warned me, crabs in a barrel. When you try to get out, they're going to pull you down. And boy, did I experience They tried to shatter me. Praise be to God, that was a process that I had to go through. That was my hero's journey. I had to be shattered to come and see what, who was I. I thought I was something. I realized I was nothing. But then Christ had plans for me. You know, my father had this black superiority. And he named his sons accordingly. My brother's Leroy Marcus Davis. Adrian Martin Davis. Leroy, Leroy, the king. Marcus of Mars, a warrior. He wanted us to be warrior kings. Adrian was named after emperor, King Adrian, Emperor Adrian. And Martin, again, warrior, God of Mars, the God of war. He wanted it. And Davis, son of David. So he wanted us to know you are warrior kings and you are black and superior. I've repented of all of that. Repented of all of that. Don't, don't, Don't think you can bring me back to that. I accept each person as an individual. And I want to know, God says, you shall know them by their fruits, not by the color of their skin. You're going to judge somebody by the color of their skin? That's the opposite of the teaching of Christ. Ephesians 4, in verse 3, verse 30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The Marxists need to stir up anger. They need to stir up clamor and evil speaking in order to to advance their agenda. Christians, we forgive. We let go of these things. And be you kind one to another. So now we're talking about the body. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Don't forget what you've been forgiven of. Be you therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and has given us, given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, now this is it now, listen. Social justice, I'm righteous because I'm all about social justice. No, there's, righteousness is defined by God. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So especially, you know, our young ladies, I've seen some of your Facebook uh, posts, you're half naked, but you're all about Black Lives Matter. Young men, 
black men having children all over the place, and, not, and I'm not speaking about in the church, but as we see in, in the West, we can't have this in the church. Fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness. Covetousness. Somebody else has. It's not fair that they have that. I want that. Let it not be once named among you as become saint. Saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, to say the least, which are put us in the class of abomination to God, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, we, we, we can't support lawlessness. We can't support Baalim. They're all about lawlessness and pansexuality. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't fall for it, brethren. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And this is what I'm trying to warn the church. Don't fall for it, brethren. The, the, the society that they are trying to build, and they're tearing down statues and erasing history, this is what Marxists do. What did George Orwell warn us? That he who controls the past controls the future. So they're erasing the past. But he said, and he who controls the present controls the past. So this ability to rewrite history, whenever you, you see these um, old pictures of Stalin, and he just removes people, the, the equivalent of Photoshop back then, he just removes them. They rewrite history so that they can rewrite the future. Let no man, don't let Balaam deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the very things that Balaam stands for, comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. That's who they are. They have nothing to do with us. I don't care what the color of their skin is. They are children of disobedience. Be not you therefore partakers with them. As a pastor of Christ, I'm warning you, brethren, have nothing to do with them. If you have social media posts supporting Balaam, take it down. Don't, don't offer your support to them because they are going to shed blood. Marxists are genocidal maniacs. Satanic, genocidal maniacs. Do not lend them your voice. For you were sometimes darkness as I was. <laughs> you know, if, this, if this movement happened 40 years ago, they would have had me hook, line, and sinker. Praise God, it's happening now, and I have the Bible, the Word of God. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Come on. Walk as children of light. Christ says, by their fruits you shall know them. Look at Matthew 10. Behold, I send you forth as sheep, verse 16, in the midst of wolves. Be you therefore wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. We, we, you can't just be thinking one square ahead. This is a chessboard. You can't just be thinking one square ahead. Be, have some wisdom. Have a sense of the pattern, how things are unfolding. But beware of men. And we could even say here, brethren. Not just men in general, but men who we assemble with. Men who we worship with. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. Why would you be in their assemblies? Because, oh, we thought this was the assembly of God. But a doctrine got in, infiltrated, and turned. And now they give us up. And you shall be brought before governors 
they side with the Marxists. And kings, for my sake, we won't give up Christ for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. So now we're brought into the government and we're going to say, no, this is what we stand for. But we've been betrayed. But when they deliver you up, so when we're betrayed, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaks in you. And notice this. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. Something has happened. There has been a Balim doctrine that has gotten into the mind that is all about human sacrifice, that doesn't care about human life, that doesn't care about the family of God, that doesn't care, for it doesn't care about family, and therefore can't grasp the family of God. The brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause their parents to be put to death. Balim, right there. Right there. Out to destroy the nuclear family. And we are supporting this? Oh boy, oh boy, you better know that your young baby, your young child, that's being educated by Marxists, who have taken control of the school system, who you think they're so cute and so lovely and you're okay with them, disobeying you and following the teachers, you watch. Ten years from now, 15 years from now, they will give you up. They will give you up. And you, you supported Balaam getting control. You supported, you, you love Chaz. You think Chaz is a good idea. And now you've lost your children. And God says, don't call me. Don't, don't pray to me. You turned your back on me. Now you're coming to call me to help you? The brother shall deliver up the brother to death. This just got real. This just got real. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. How did the nuclear family get destroyed? Oh, I know. The Marxists. And you shall be hated of all men for my namesake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. And I just want to cover uh, one more passage. And then I'll, I think I'll stop for today and continue part three of this message next week. Because I've only answered one question so far. But I want to, as we come out of this passage, that the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And we begin to see now how that might happen. Where people are so passionate about Balaam that they would honor a criminal and despise a pastor. That this is what can happen. And they will assassinate the character of the pastor. Because that's the first step. To demonize and then destroy. Because then you're justified in the destruction. I gave a sermon some time ago called Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. And in that sermon, I speculated that you know, the, 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 there's the religious beast, which we believe to be the Catholic Church, but the, there's also a political beast. And I said, you know, this is either going to be a communist beast power, political beast power, global communist power, or it could be Islam. And I actually speculated that I'm leaning towards Islam because of this verse in John 16. John 16 and verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. So on this one, I looked at it. I said, you know, communism is growing 
and it's a global agenda, globalist agenda, but so is Islam, growing rapidly, fastest growing religion in the West, and covers the East. Uh, and it has you know, more adherents now than the Catholic Church. So I said, you know, that's also another global, uh, globalist political agenda. And I said, you know, of the two, because of this verse, that in the end time, it's actually a religious thing. That the persons putting us to death think they're doing God's service. So that's why I kind of lean more towards Islam. Because of recent events, I'm reevaluating this verse. And I'm seeing that, in fact, this gives no support for a political, an Islamic political beast. Not to say that it won't be. It still could go either way. But this is not the verse to support an Islamic beast because just because it says they think they will do God's service. Let's look at the context for this to see what does this actually mean. And then I'll, I will stop here. John 15. <clears throat> John 15, verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So if Balaam can take us out, this is our destiny. That if we do not abide in Christ, then we have no usefulness to him and will be gathered and burned. If, however, if you abide in me, and my words, not Marxism, cultural Marxism, but my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And I'm going to get into this, and I have some statistics I want to share, and I want to answer the other two questions. But this whole notion of social justice warriors uh, it's a it's a wrong concept, and, and people use um, Proverbs 31 as justification for this social justice warrior approach to, to Christianity. And I want to just show you how that is completely out of context. And I'm going to uh, it's it's too much for today, but I will come back, God willing, I'll speak with Pastor Murray and see if maybe I continue next week uh, or the week after. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's the focus. This is what we should be about. We should be about our Father's business. We should be bearing fruit, preparing. Isn't it, isn't it clear now? And I, and I think part of the problem is, especially for young people who haven't been around and haven't studied history, we have this illusion of permanence. We have this sense that everything around us will remain the way that it is. If we study history, we see empires fall. Empires rise, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. And we see things just change permanently over time. But while you're going through the change, you don't notice because it's kind of slowly, slowly, then all at once. And suddenly it's gone. Well, this society is collapsing. And if we're taking our effort to try to save this, when the Bible tells us evil men are going to wax worse and worse, God is preparing a new society. There's a new society coming. And, and Deacon Jan spoke about this at length. And we need to be conformed for that. And we need to be bearing fruit now for that. That's, a, that's our focus. Not running up and down, trying to take what belongs to others. And no, that's mine. You owe me that. I covet what you have. And I must take it from you. And not until everybody has the same will I be happy. 
this is so nonsensical. It's, it's crazy. I think Oprah tried this once. You get a car. You get a car. And so she went into some poor neighborhood and gave everybody money and went back, I don't know, maybe five years later, and all the money was gone, and they were back into their poverty. You know, it says the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And there's actually a, the square root of any population produces 50% of the fruit of it. So you can't have equality because people are different. God designed us to be different. And some of us are more committed than others. And so some who love money, and by the way, that accusation carries with it that the love of money is the root of all evil. It is a true demonization. So if we can say that, hey, don't listen to that pastor. He's a lover of money. What it really means is he's the root of all evil. So you can see how we can turn on each other by demonizing each other. And then the fact that somebody puts them to death, oh well. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. This is how you'll be my disciples. Not running after Balaam, trying to fix the world and take wealth from others and distribute it equally. As the Father has loved me, and and we have to understand cultural Marxism. If you don't don't understand cultural Marxism, you don't get to voice an opinion. Because you don't know what's going on. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, don't go to to lawlessness. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. So we're going into some dark times, and it's reason for anxiety, it's reason for depression, it's reason for deep despair. But God is telling us these things so that his joy might remain in us. Balim doesn't want you to be joyful. They want you to be angry. They want you to be full of rage. They want you to destroy. And then whatever you have, they want to take it from you, including your children. Christ wants us to have joy. And no matter what happens, he wants that joy to remain in us and for that joy to be full. This is my commandment. We're not playing now. This is his commandment. You better do this. That you love one another according to your skin color. Make sure you follow this commandment that you love one another according to your skin color. Oh, oh, I think we read it wrong. I think we've been tricked. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The way I sacrificed myself for you, I want you to sacrifice yourself for each other. When we head into dark times, I don't want my people saying, I've got to hide my, my son. I've got to hide my daughter. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm, go, go to Adrian. Oh, no, no, he's black. He won't help you. Don't go to Adrian. Go, uh, go, go to Murray. He's white. He'll help you. We can't have this. We absolutely cannot have this. We can't have this. It's like he's a brother. Go there. He'll help you. He'll sacrifice his life for you because he understands the body. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So if we're not loving one another, if we have another God, if we have another priority, 
if, if, we, if, we're, if we're following another doctrine, we're not his friends. Verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So fasten your seatbelts. This just got real. The world is going to hate you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And the world includes God's people. He chose them out of Judah. He chose them from among God's people. And God's people put him to death. And then he says, hey, if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. And brother will betray brother. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So We need to discern by fruit. There will be false teachers, but we can tell because they have no fruit or they have bad fruit. And then there'll be good teachers, and we can tell because they'll point us to the law, and they'll have fruit. And so he's not left us without guidance. He says, if they have kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things, listen to this, all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, who's the them? The them is God's people. So these, God's people don't know the Father. They, th- they have a false concept of him. They don't know him. But they're his people. And he says, they have not known him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them. He didn't speak to Gentiles. He came and he spoke to them, God's people. Then they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. They've revealed who they are. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But this comes to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So if that happened to him, get ready going to happen to us. If we don't fall in line with the monolith, if we step outside the monolith and say, no, I won't be part of that, they'll turn on us without a cause. They hated me without a cause. But when the com- And they remember the hate. They is God's people. We have to keep the context. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth Truth. We want to know facts. We want to know truth. You know, when I first say, started saying to people, look, this is George Floyd's background. The first reaction is, that's not true. How do you know that's not true? Then when there's a bit of research done and it all comes out, then, it, well, it doesn't matter. That, that, that shouldn't matter. Well, at first you said it wasn't true, as if truth mattered. Now you're saying it doesn't matter. Now that it's confirmed to be true, it doesn't matter. Well, we, truth matters. And, and we care about truth. The spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you sh- also shall bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. So that's the context now. There should be no chapter break. So now we know who we're talking about. He's talking to his true disciples. He's talking about the community that they've come out of. 
the assemblies that they've come out of, that they will be betrayed and turned over to the Gentiles from their own community. And from that, we continue now, no chapter break. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended, that you should not stumble and fall into sin because of the difficulty, the difficult period ahead, the perilous times ahead. Your joy can be full because you understand and you abide in him and his words abide in you. That because of that, you stay steady. You don't get dis- you don't get uh, distracted. So these things I've spoken unto you that you should not you should not fall into sin. They, who's the they? It's not the Gentiles. It's the community, God's people, out of which I have called you to make you my disciples. It is the same community that puts me to death. It is these same people that will put you to death. So that's how I, I know these recent events have helped me understand this better. They, God's people, shall put you out of the assemblies. What, what, what are you doing in the assemblies? Would you be in a pagan assembly? Would you be in a Gentile assembly? Of course not. You're in an assembly of brethren, and they're going to put you out of their How You can't be here. You're too offensive. What you're saying is too up, It's upsetting everybody. Get out. They shall put you out of the assemblies. Yes, the time comes that whosoever, remember he, t- he says, brother shall betray brother. Whosoever, that is in the community. Whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We have to combine this with Matthew 24, that the love of many will wax cold and brother will betray brother and brother will hate brother. And so this, I was completely wrong in that sermon to use this verse to say, I think Islam will, be, will get the upper hand over Marxism. This does not support that. All this says is we shall be betrayed by our own people. This is the crack. This is the vulnerability that brethren want to say to me, paper it over, pretend it's not there. Why? It, this, this, is, this doesn't have to be among us. We can have a congregation that is solid. We can have congregations that are solid. And I think more so uh, Church of God International than other churches of God because of the freedom that we allow. We allow brethren to be themselves. And we are patient. And we work with each other to come over time to come to the unity of the faith. But we, the, the spirit of God is a spirit of truth. It's not a spirit of pretense. They shall put you out of their assemblies. Yes, the time comes when iniquity, lawlessness will abound, that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known me nor the Father. That's why in Luke when he says, Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company. This is Luke 6, 22. You're blessed. You're, you're You're in their company. And they're going to separate you from that. These are not pagans. These are our own brothers and sisters. But blessed are you when men shall hate you, when brethren will hate you, when the love of many waxes cold, because they allowed some false doctrine to infiltrate and creep in. When men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So were you pushing drugs? Were you uh, threatening pregnant women that you'd blow their baby out of their womb 
And that's why they put you out? Or were you preaching Christ? And they said, no, we can't have this. We hate you for doing this. Rejoice you in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So I'm going to stop there. Just I realize I've gone a bit long. I, 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 want, I want to go longer. I want to go longer because everything's going to come together cohesively. And I think these were three very good questions that I was able to pull out of uh, our sister's letter. Uh, so I want to just make the first one very, very clear that George Floyd's context is important. It's relevant. The fact that he was a criminal, that we as Christians should not be joining people rioting or supporting riots in the streets uh, because a career criminal met with his comeuppance. Tragic. Horrible. But this is what happens to people who choose that type of life. And we don't want Marxists taking the bottom of the barrel and making that our heroes putting him on the same level as Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, who who really sacrificed everything to advance the cause of black people. We're we're smarter than that. So yeah, so so the context matters. We need to look into a matter before we judge it. So people on welfare, no, I'm not condemning them. I was on welfare. I said my, my mother was on welfare. It's a temporary measure. We mustn't stay on welfare. Because that's part of the system. The system is now colorblind. It doesn't care what color you are. If you rack up debt, if you stay on welfare, if you lead an immoral life, if you spend all your time watching television instead of working and getting an education, it doesn't care what color you are. On the other hand, if you watch your morality, get an education, have a strong work ethic, Focus on this Christian life. We can all be successful. And successful doesn't have to be measured in dollars and cents. It can be an an awesome family, an awesome, fulfilling, a life, an abundant life. Anybody can have that in this society, in this Western world, which allows individuals to be who they are. You just have to navigate it. And we should not be teaching our children to fear the police. The police are racist and the system is racist. That that is wrong teaching. The majority of police officers are like you and I. It's a job. And, and they're doing a decent job and they're dealing with the, the horrible element of society. I know what that element is like. I was there. It's dangerous. Every day they go to work, it's, they, they, they're risking their lives. Yes, there are corrupt police officers. And yes, they will meet their comeuppance just as criminals meet theirs. But the biggest danger we have the, the, the systemic problem we have is people who don't understand the system and don't understand that it's colorblind and allow themselves to lead this bottom-of-the-rung existence and become criminal. And then we have politicians who don't care because somebody has to occupy that rung. White, black, Asian, doesn't matter. We need people at that level who just keep voting us back into office even though we do nothing for them. Yes, it's a system, but it's colorblind. And the sooner we wake up to that and teach our children, you know what? You know this man that was murdered? I, 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 didn't, I, I don't have to teach my kids anything about him. They, they know what I think. And they know that I don't worry about them. The last thing on my mind is my kids are going to run afoul of the police. It's the last thing on my mind. If my kids were going to the States, I would warn them, be careful of certain neighborhoods. 
because the real risk for a black life is another black person. And there are, of course, there are reasons for that, and I want to talk about that and share some statistics and share some irrefutable facts that we just have to face these facts. But let me stop there saying, so far, question one. I want to answer the other two questions and then bring this all back around to the fact that we must face our vulnerabilities. We mustn't paper them over. Because just like the shuttle Challenger, when it was time to launch, there was a crack and the whole thing was a disaster. And people knew. And they, paid, they, they looked the other way instead of saying, no, let's fix that. So let me pause there. And uh, God bless you. Brethren, I speak out of love. I speak out of passion. I speak from the word of God. And let the chips fall where they may. Christ warns us. Uh, we signed up for this. I signed up for it at baptism and again at ordination. So it's okay. But I'm pointing you to the word of God. And so I'll pause there and uh, God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Adrian. Uh, we certainly look forward to uh, you concluding this message next week. I think the uh, it's been uh, four weeks now that uh, we've been covering uh, this topic and I'm certainly grateful to see uh, many pastors coming out now to speak about it. Um, Pastor Bill Watson has spoken out about it as well. We've spoken about it here, yourself, myself, Deacon Jan, and I know uh, Elder Mike James has written about it as well. So very grateful that um, we're standing up to uh, not be afraid to speak about a topic that is uh, very important to the church. And I think the title of your message today, Come Now Let Us Reason Together, is the attitude we should all have. So very much looking forward to uh, part two and concluding this next week. Um, we will close with prayer now, and then we will have a closing hymn. Uh, it will be I Am Resolved. And the words will show on your screen, but it is page 84 in your hymns. So we will now, uh, let's uh, close with prayer, and then we will have the closing hymn. Father in heaven, we just pause before you at the end of this service. So grateful to be together again on your Sabbath day. This, uh, as summer uh, comes to us now, and we look forward to getting out into the good weather. We look forward to uh, coming back together, and it's great to see so many congregations being able to come back together. We look forward to here in our little corner of the world here in the, the greater Toronto area that we're a part of here in Burlington, and our Toronto brethren who continue not to be able to meet, as do some of our other brethren. We do ask for you to Continue to be with our leaders as we, as we heard in the opening prayer and as we heard here in the, the message today. As your servant Paul wrote in Timothy that uh, we pray for our kings so that the people of God may live quiet and peaceful lives. And, um, it's certainly not that now. Uh, we pray that, uh, it be your will that we, uh, come into some quiet and peaceable times again. But we ask you to give us courage. We ask you to give us, um, uh, perseverance and we ask you to stir up the Holy Spirit in all of us that we may together walk this walk the road that we need to walk so that we may successfully uh, uh, and through your mercy make it into your kingdom we ask for your blessing upon the rest of this Sabbath day be with all of our brethren that are here on this this uh, uh, this uh, live transmission as well as the rest of your body of Christ around the world that is uh, concluding the Sabbath. Bring us all back together again next week, wherever it is that we congregate. 
and give us the ability and the the desire and the the spirit-filled uh, nature to be able to reason together. We thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice and all that this means. And we ask you to dismiss these services now in his name, our elder brother, our redeemer, and our soon coming King Jesus Christ. Amen.